Hi, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Changing the Course. I am Achara, attorney in New York City and also the author of the popular children's book series, Curly Girly, inspired by my own young curly-haired daughter. My podcast mission is to bring interesting, newsworthy, and current topics to the forefront with dynamic guests who help us to change the way we see things and open our world to new ideas. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Rick Fromberg to my show. Rick is a very timely guest to our show as he's a renowned campaign manager who led New York City's Mayor Bill de Blasio to a successful reelection. Rick also worked for Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016. As part of the mayor's administration, Rick led efforts to launch its historic universal pre-K initiative. He then went on to serve as a senior advisor in City Hall, where he created the nation's first public engagement unit. You can be on either side of the political spectrum and enjoy this episode. Welcome, Rick, to my show. How are you today? Uh, I am well. Thank you so much for having me, Atara. I'm a, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you because um, we really are in historic times, right, with this presidential election having just ended. And I'm sure you heard the last sweeping termed as nail biting, right? I can't think of a better description. <laughs> yeah, I've got no nails. I've got no nails left. So. Right? <laughs> Um, so I know you're familiar with behind the scenes of campaigns, right? So tell us what might you imagine was going on both in the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign as votes were being counted? Well, you know, I think the Biden campaign rightfully uh, uh, believed from uh, the, the close of the polls that uh, ultimately, when the votes were counted, that uh, uh, now President-elect Biden will, would be declared the winner. Um, I think, you know, this is American democracy, uh, and this is a unique time for uh, the, the participation in American democracy. I think that the great part of what happened on Tuesday is that we just had massive record-setting turnout, and that's a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And it took some time for uh, that to play out. It took some time to, to go through uh, an increased vote by mail um, ballot uh, uh, participation. Uh, and obviously being in the midst of a pandemic, that was uh, a likely outcome. You know, I think the, the same thing uh, was very, very likely what was going through the minds of the Trump campaign if they uh, were, were looking at the votes in the, same, uh, in the same way. I think the question just really as we've gone through this last week has been about what has the response been um, and how have they handled the, uh, what is the same outcome that they're seeing? Um, and I think that's where, that's where the vast difference is. Um, and, you know, I, I, uh, I, I am a, as I said to you earlier, I'm a, a, a democratic operative. I'm a partner at a progressive media firm. So I obviously have a, a perspective on that. Uh, but, you know, I think what's going inside, uh, what's going on inside both is they're they're looking at the same information um, and determining what their uh, what the path forward is. Um, and I think as of you know late Tuesday night, I think everybody was on the same page if they were uh, if they were crunching numbers and looking at it uh, for uh, uh, for what was out there. So. You know, I think that's that's where I think everybody has been, um, not only in the campaigns but out there in the rest of the world as well. 
It's interesting you say late Tuesday night because I remember staying up pretty late and actually going to sleep <laughs> probably, you know, two, three o'clock and thinking, okay, I mean, I guess um, it's over for Biden. That's actually what I, you know, even knowing that there were all these uh, votes still to be counted, it just seems so ominous for him, right? I mean, there, there was such a vast lead uh, for Trump, but I think everything turned on, on Wednesday during the course of that day. And what struck me as interesting is if you watch the news outlets, the various sides um, of the spectrum, different, different news outlets, there was a, a sense of relief on Wednesday that on Tuesday night was not present on one side. And on the other, there was a, a sense of, of nervousness, I think, that hadn't been present Tuesday night. So I think I, I would say Wednesday was really a turning point. Yeah, I think, you know, this has been uh, a little bit of a slog for sure. Uh, I think, you know, if you really sort of looked into it um, and uh, have worked in some of the places where uh, the votes were still being counted, I think, I, I, I will say personally, I felt very confident in Pennsylvania, I felt very confident in both Wisconsin and Michigan, uh, just based on what was remaining outstanding. I think you know, the, the other, you know, the other side of the coin here is that for a while, it's certainly, you know, it certainly looked like uh, there were a bunch of states in play uh, for Joe Biden that ended up uh, going uh, uh, more to Donald Trump. Um, you know, and I think we've seen, while we've seen leads grow in some states, we've also seen uh, some uh, leads for Biden grow in some states. We've also seen them uh, uh, diminish, not to the point that they're going to change, but you know, this is the this is the sort of foundational principle of American democracy, where you know you count every vote regardless of how long it takes. Uh, and you know, the 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 sort of um, you know, I'll say for for the media perspective, the uh, you know, who's in the lead, who's not in the lead, uh, framing of it is is a little uh, you know a little bit dangerous in that ultimately. Uh, the, the people, who, the, the leader in each state was the person who ultimately will, will have the votes counted. It's a little challenging from that perspective. I think obviously people have a immediate reaction with how they consume this information and it's tough to follow. But I think ultimately, once the votes were counted, I think certainly the Biden campaign and I think certainly the Trump campaign were pretty clear eyed on what the outcome would ultimately look like. Um, and but you know it, it's tough, and you know people uh, have a are used to a certain kind of election night, and this has been a, a different kind of election night. Of course, they're used to a different kind of world where right. you know, where you can go outside and you right. can go to restaurants, and lots right. of things have changed in the world. So, um, but I think you know I think this is a uh, this has been uh, a civics lesson, uh, a hard but 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 good civics lesson at the end of the day. So let me ask you, as a campaign manager, would you have advised your client, let's just pretend it was Donald Trump for a minute we'll cross the aisle? <laughs> I know it's <laughs> That's hard, a hard to do. thing for me to pretend. I know it's hard to do, <laughs> but um, just for a moment, I, I'm just curious, like the insides of what goes on, and I'm sure our audience, like what is going on that, that they say to Trump or allow him to go out at 2 a.m. on Tuesday of election night and declare victory? Is that something you, you can imagine saying, yeah, that's a great idea? No, I, I really can't um, because I, I just don't see how that has been, uh, how they have engaged in responsible behavior. Uh, you know, I think there's, 
when you're on the when you're on the side of you know, and, and unfortunately I have lost ra- lost my share of races. Of when, you, when you've done a lot, you you win some, you lose some. Always uh, right, and you know I think everybody when you're when you're being uh, when when you're viewing this through the prism of your own campaign and your own candidate, it is it's harder to say okay, look, this isn't going to go our way. Let's do the uh, uh, appropriate traditional American thing and admit that um, it is hard. There's no question. Being on the being on the winning side is a lot easier and a lot more fun. Um, you know. That said, I think you know what we've learned in these last five six years is that there's not a lot that can be said. Whether it's your camp, uh, campaign manager, uh, staff, cabinet. To Donald Trump, that's really going to impact his uh, his ultimate behavior, uh, and so you know it's a little it's a little uh, uh, hard to say that for sure what the outcome would have been had uh, had somebody said you know look, Mr. President, you're you know you're not going to win this thing. You should go out and do the gracious thing and uh, concede, or you should wait. Right? We should wait till all the votes are counted. Um, but unfortunately, that's you know not really what happened here. Um, and I think the, the sort of tradition of concession and the, uh, you know, the peaceful transition of power uh, should dictate different kinds of behaviors than we've seen. And as a, you know, as a campaign manager, when we've, uh, when we've lost, I've said, you know, look, there's, there's not a path here. Right. Uh, and you should, you should do, you know, you candidate should do the, uh, the thing that's appropriate uh, and uh, that fits with everything. Um, and you know, that's, and that's a hard call to make. It absolutely is a hard call to make. And it's, and it's very, you know, hard emotionally on the candidate to accept that because they've been working very hard and putting themselves out there. Um, but you know, that's the responsibility of living in a democracy. And ultimately, you know, once you've looked at the votes and you've looked at the data and you've said, okay, this is where it's, this is where it's going you know, you've got really three choices, right? Declare victory, uh, concede, or say, let all the votes be counted. Um, that's, and I, I, you know, would say you'd hope that those would be the three things that uh, that you can really do. Uh, and, you know, and there, there's gray areas, obviously, in between. Um, uh, but, you know that that uh, does not really that has not really been the uh, the outcome we've seen over the last week. No. So it's a you know it's a choice. It's hard. Yeah. Oh, so so let me ask you: When might there be a path? When, as a campaign manager, would you say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna see if there is a way for us to still turn this around? Yeah. I mean, it's every election is different, right? Every state, every locality uh, has a uh, has you know, different procedures for voting, different procedures for counting elections, uh, different procedures for certifying elections. Um, and so if you've been working on a campaign for a long time, you've, you understand the rules of the game that you're playing. Uh, and you're, if you're in, uh, you know, if you're in a state or a place that's counting, uh, is heavily uh, election day voting, you know, you know, you're probably going to find out pretty quickly that evening whether or not you uh, whether or not you won. Uh, if you're in a place that has uh, a lot of mail-in ballots, you're going to take a little bit longer. Um, you know, or, and then there's uh, every every sort of variant in between. 
Um, but if you know what the, um, the, the procedures are well and you've looked at it enough and you have both your internal data and then what's being reported, you can actually have a pretty good sense of where you're going. Um, you know, uh, most of the time uh, you've got a pretty good sense on election night, but sometimes, you know, it's going to take time for the information to come in that you need to, um, uh, you need to make a decision. And I think that's when you're in a place where you're saying, okay, look, let's, let's wait and count all the votes before we make a determination. Um, generally, you, if there's any degree of uncertainty as a campaign or you think there's, you know, a coin flip or, you know, even if you're like, hey, it's a 40% chance we might, uh, we might prevail, then I think that's when you're saying, okay, like, let, let's wait and see here. Then um, so, you know, there, there goes back to times when um, people have conceded and then retracted, right? 2000 right. is the best example of right. that. Uh, is, a, is a perfect example of that um, when uh, Vice President Gore conceded and then had to retract that because, you know, it, it looked very, very much at the time like Florida was still very much in play. So, you know, there's plenty of historical examples of making these calls to either declare victory, concede, and then that walks back uh, or, you know, saying let's count all the votes. Um, and I think in this, uh, you know, I think in this instance, the uh, the, the Biden campaign really smartly said, look, we're confident we're going to win, but we need to count all the votes. Um, and, that's what, and that's the path that they took. And I think that was the right path for them to take. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're the manager or you're the, you know, the candidate or whomever and you're looking at it, um, you know, it is, it, it, it's challenging to say, look, this, this just isn't going to go in our direction. So if you, you know, have doubt that, you know, maybe you're, of the votes that have been tallied, you're, you don't have as many on election night, but it looks like, hey, you know, we're down, call it, you know, 10,000 votes and there's 50,000 votes out. That's a really hard uh, vote that haven't been counted. That's a really hard time to say, look, we're going to concede. Um, and so you just have to, it's, a, it's a, ultimately a math question and a yes. values question. Yes. But um, it seems to me at this point, based on, on the math, that there's almost no scenario that would overturn enough votes to change this election. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, the, the media, <laughs> uh, media, the, the many, many, uh, if, uh, if not most uh, uh, elected officials who are approaching this, honestly, along with foreign leaders, have all made the same determination. Yes. Uh, even, you know, even in an instance where uh, the, the Trump campaign won their challenges, they wouldn't, they still wouldn't win the election. Uh, you know, they're contesting 180 votes in Arizona, and he's down about 14,000. Right, right. So, you know, they, they contest, you know, do all that stuff. But even under the best theory of their case for them, there just doesn't appear to be any sort of path. Yes. And, you know, you would need five states to turn uh, in, in, in ways that would be unprecedented in American history and recounts and, uh, and throwing out votes. And it just does not appear that, right. that I mean, frankly, it, it's not that it doesn't appear, it's just factually correct that it's not, uh, it's not, it's not possible. possible. It's not possible. Yeah, I think that at this point, regardless of what side of the aisle you are on, somebody needs to just be the adult in that room. 
um, you know, <laughs> as a parent, yeah. I, I can just appreciate that sometimes you have to say to your child, no, you are wrong. No, this is over. And I think that it's unfortunate, but that really is the best analogy that I can make is that somebody has to be the adult. So let's yeah. talk for a second about polls, right? Because mm -hmm. there were all of these polls out there that were going in a very different direction than it ultimately came in. So how does the polling work? Well, you know, I, I think when you're, when you're uh, for a campaign, there's a couple of different rationales for polling. Uh, and so we'll, I think this is sort of two questions in one, which is what's the role of public polling and then what's the role of private polling for a campaign. For a campaign, ultimately, when you're polling, um, you're, you're trying to determine uh, your best paths forward, your best messaging, um, your, you know, uh, tar how to target voters. Uh, and you're a little less concerned about the snapshot in time of where the electorate is. In terms of public polling, you know, public polling, the main, you know, what it's, what it has turned into is a real way of shaping perceptions of races. Uh, and there, the, the main sort of takeaway I think that folks have right now is, you know, it undercounted uh, largely the public polling undercounted uh, Trump support. Um, yeah, I think at the end of this, and what's and, you know, nationally, when when all the votes are tallied, uh, uh, Joe Biden's win is going to be historic. He's going to have a massive popular vote win. Uh, and so I think it's a little, uh, it might be a little bit early to say nationally how far off the, uh, or how far off or, or on, I suppose, the, um, the, the public polling was. Um, but, it, you know, it is indisputable that there was um, uh, an undercount in the public polling of Trump support. Uh, and, you know, what, you know, what did that do? I think it just kind of, you know, set expectations in a different place uh, than were, uh, than what ultimately came through. And I think might have had a uh, effect on Tuesday night of saying, look, we were expecting a total blowout uh, repudiation of Trump that uh, comes all in one big moment. And that's, you know, and that's what we've gotten used to on election night, you know, when 1984, 1980, right, when these, these big wins for Reagan happened, you know, that's what people were kind of used to. Um, and that's, I think, what the, you know, part of the, the, the issue with public polling is, you know, when it, uh, when it doesn't meet uh, when expectations uh, are set so high or are so uh, it's so different than what actually ends up happening, um, you know, it, it, it changes the way people perceive the next stage, uh, which is the actual counting of the votes. Uh, and they, you know, people, the media wants to rush to narratives and figure out, hey, this went wrong, everything's right. terrible. Um, and, you know, at the end of this, when we, when we count it all, you know, we'll see uh, just how far off it was. Um, and, you know, when you start looking at, you know, get past the presidential, you start looking at the Senate races that, uh, you know, Maine is a good example that, you know, never had Susan Collins winning a single poll uh, going back, you know, I think all of 2020. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fair question what, you know, what has happened. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's a conversation that's going to be going on for a long time. And it's going on, it's been going on these last four years because, you know, the public polling was off in 2016. Right. Well, yeah. um, and I think, you know, it's hard to determine these kinds of elections uh, because 
you know, while we expected record setting turnout, you just don't know exactly where it's going to come from. Um, and I think there was at least a perception that a huge turnout would uh, universally and exclusively benefit Democrats. But, you know, Donald Trump has been spending four years riling up his base uh, to turn out in huge numbers, and they did. So, but I think that, you know, that, that's probably at least a portion of what the public polling missed. So would you, as a campaign manager, want to ever get rid of polling? Does it serve a purpose for you or not? Yeah, it definitely serves a purpose. Um, you know, the, it, it sh- in my view, it's, a, it's a one of many inputs. Uh, if That's in, well said. Yeah, in normal, in normal circumstances, certainly you've got a much more, uh, you've got a much better ability to sort of read the room. And by the room, I mean the entire electorate of whatever, right. Uh, right. whatever office you're running for. Right. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're in diners or you're knocking on doors. You've got a much cleaner look at what's going on. I think, obviously, it's very, uh, it's very clear that among the many, many things that changed, uh, have changed in this nation because of COVID, uh, campaigning is a big one, uh, is a big one. And so for, you know, for campaigns that became a little bit more reliant on polling than they did, uh, than they have before. Uh, and, you know, as we move forward and hopefully, um, you know, uh, uh, God willing, we, we get past this public health crisis and get past this pandemic, you know, campaigns are going to have to go back to making that choice of, okay, well, where are, where are our inputs coming from? Uh, what are our, what is our own internal data say? What does our gut say? What is, you know, when our, when our candidate is out there and making a stump speech at a church or at a, uh, a political club meeting or, you know, on a debate stage at a forum, you know, what gets heads nodding? What, what's the reaction? Uh, what's the enthusiasm look like? Uh, and that's, that's, I think one of the big challenges we had was there were fewer inputs this year because of the health situation uh, and, you know, I think as we kind of move forward in campaigns, whether you're Democrat or Republican, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have to go back to making that determination of where your inputs are coming from. Um, and I think that's the, that's the real, uh, that's the real challenge you make in a sort of, we call it, you know, not, politics is never normal, but right. in a more normal, uh, more normal moment. Uh, I don't, you know, so if you, if you view polling as, you know, one tool among many, uh, I think that's, a, that is, it is very it much. serves its purpose. Right. It, it's very much, it's very, it can be very worthwhile. You know, this is not, uh, you know, statistic, uh, you know, uh, uh, public opinion research um, over the course of decades and decades uh, has served us well. It can't be the exclusive, but it does, it does serve a real purpose. Um, and I think we have a lot to to go and figure out about how to, you know, make it more representative, make sure it's, um, you know, the, the opinion research side, the statistical side is capturing what's really going on out there in the world and the way people live these days. Um, and, uh, and I think it's the responsibility of campaigns. Um, and I think the responsibility, frankly, of, uh, of the media covering public polls uh, to understand that, you know, this, these are, they are snapshots in time uh, of, of the moment that they're taken and things change so rapidly in our society right now. Uh, and that, you know, they are just one of the ways to determine what's going on out there in the world. Right. Well said. So let's talk for a moment about the mayoral campaigns, because I know you've been on presidential ones mm-hmm. and mayoral ones. 
is is the running for mayor just a smaller version and especially in a city like new york <laughs> <laughs> running for president or is it just a whole other animal are you looking at a ton of different things well i, I would say new york city is a whole, new york city mayoral race is a whole other animal from every other animal right i don't even know right. if it's a right. it's like some sort of alien life form um but uh <laughs> um but you know i, I think so, so setting that aside, you know, there are, there are obvious differences, uh, you know, when you're running for, um, uh, and, I'll, and I'll come back to New York, but there are obviously very uh, significant differences when you're running in um, an election that has one set of rules versus when you're running in an election that has 50 sets right, of rules. Right, right. Um, so that, that is the, that is by far the biggest, you know, that is by far the biggest thing along with obviously the, the scrutiny and size, uh, you know, even if you're running a Senate race or a governor's race or, a, you know, a big congressional race, um, those are very, those are very different because you're playing by one set of rules. Right. Um, you know, as it relates, you know, New York city, uh, is, is a completely different animal. And I know you're, uh, I know you're there, Tara, and that's where I am a lot of the time myself right now. Right. I'm, I'm not currently in New York City, but right now, but most of the time I'm, uh, uh, um, you're back in, out of New York City. Um, it's a, just a very different, it's a very different animal because it's a place that, you know, it's the media capital of the world. There's intense media scrutiny on that race mm -hmm. that is very different than, you know, if you're running for mayor of, Another city, I don't know. Yeah, small <laughs> city somewhere. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever, smaller, a smaller city, right. smaller town, um, or even a big city, big town that just doesn't have the same sort of media scrutiny and lens on it. Um, I've always thought the mayor of New York City is the, you know, second hardest, second highest profile uh, job in the, uh, in the, in the country. Um, and in part, that's just the lens of it. Right. Uh, but let me ask you a question because I am a New Yorker. So I know it's somewhat more intimately than, than maybe others. Yeah. It, it, it seemed to me in, in the last mayoral election that a lot of New Yorkers just did not vote. Um, and how do we get New Yorkers to be more interested? Maybe this cycle they will be, but they, they hadn't been for, for a while. And I'm curious about that. Yeah, so I think one of the really important distinctions I would make about uh, voting historically in New York City uh, is that it's, it's been incredibly difficult to vote. The, the rules have been incredibly restrictive, um, and thankfully the legislature has made some, uh, made some big, big changes. Um, but, you know, if you go back and you look at 1713, uh, and, and previous mayoral elections, you're dealing with a situation where you're only allowed to vote on election day. Right. Uh, and the biggest determinant of whether people vote or not is the, you know, ability to get to the polls and the ability to, uh, or the ability to vote it by, vote by mail. Uh, and, you know, whether, how, how easy it is to register to vote. Right. Um, and I think that before you even sort of tackle the more atmospheric questions or the more political questions is the biggest thing to say. Um, you know, it, this, goes, this goes as far back as Tammany Hall um, because they wanted to control who voted and when. Uh, but, you know, we talk about restrictions uh, and how hard it is to vote in Southern states or Republican led states, but New York uh, until, uh, until the legislature changed things uh, just recently 
has been as hard as any place in the country to vote. And that's been sad, but thankfully that's changing. So my hope will be moving forward, you'll see much higher levels of participation in New York City. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of how to, you know, how to get people invested in what's going on in their community, New Yorkers generally are very invested in what's going on in their community. Uh, does that translate to voting? Um, I think it's, it has really changed during the last four years because New York has gone through you know, to, uh, uh, tumult and crisis yeah. and trauma, uh, both from both from uh, uh, from Trump and police protests and uh, and, uh, yeah. and police misconduct and uh, uh, and obviously uh, what's gone on in COVID. I think people are much more highly attuned uh, to their uh, the the politics of the world. Um, you know, statistically, they are consuming news at a much higher level. Um, you know, I think at least in the next you know, short term, I imagine that that will continue. Um, and then voting, hopefully, uh, as people have sort of done, re uh, it's become record setting uh, in the state of New York. And I hope that continues. Um, because what we, you know, what we know uh, from centuries of looking at this is the most likely predictor of somebody voting in an election is that they have voted before. Uh, and as people vote and find that it's easy and find that right. they have greater access to voting, I think they will. Um, but I think, you know, in the, in the sort of broader question, which I think is more getting to what you're saying, um, you know, we need to have big discussions of the real challenges that are right. facing New York City. Uh, and there, you know, I, I think heading into 2021, and this is a, this is going to be a massively important election uh, in 2021. Uh, and there are massive, massive challenges. Thankfully, uh, there's going to be a, a, a partner uh, in the Oval Office and President-elect Biden who's, right. you know, who has pledged uh, more support uh, than we've seen for states and cities and, you know, in, in New York, obviously being uh, uh, the most prominent of those. Um, uh, I, I think we're still in the midst of this health crisis. We're still in the, you know, we're still in an economic crisis. Uh, and I think the field, I think it's a good field. And I, I, I disclosed to you <laughs> offline that I am working uh, for Sean Donovan. Yes. Is, yeah, a terrific candidate. But, um, but I think it is a good field. I think it's going to be a good conversation. I think there's a lot of really important discussions to be had out there uh, for New York City on right. you know, everything from, you know, tackling this health crisis to dealing with the budget to, uh, you know, criminal justice reform to, uh, you know, the, the, the economy and the particularly small business and retail that are really suffering in the city. Right. Uh, but, and I think, you know, if that, if, you know, candidates bring forth big ideas and, and good ideas and have this open and honest conversation and the, um, and it's, and it's well covered and they run good campaigns and they, you know, put ads out there and all that kind of stuff. I think that you're going to see you're going to see high levels of participation, um, and I think the you know the other the other new dynamic in New York is for the first time we're going to have ranked choice voting, um, and statistically over. Uh, Can you tell over, everybody what that is? Yeah, ranked choice. Yeah. yeah. So ranked choice voting is a, a method of electing where you don't simply choose one candidate and then walk away. You're actually, well, in, in the case of, you know, in the case of New York specifically, 
uh, you're ranking your top five candidates or however many candidates uh, will be on the uh, stage. Right? Five, five or fewer candidates that you uh, that mm -hmm. you want. And that has that has really proven to do a couple of things. One is it's increased turnout because, you know, people don't feel like they, they end up having to choose amongst right. uh, the 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 less the you know, the lesser of however many evils, um, right. they, just, they right. actually get to, um, uh, they actually get their, to- Their candidate is yeah. there and, it, and right. it's a possibility. Right. It leaves yeah, open absolutely. the possibility. And then, yeah, and, and so, and it also leads to, I think, you know, more positive kinds of campaigns because frankly, you know, you're not in this zero sum of either getting somebody's vote or not getting somebody's vote. You want to still right. appeal to them, even if you're not their first place choice. You want to be their second place choice. Right. You can be that, you want to be their third place choice. Um, so it really has. Uh, so this uh, is new to New York because I, I don't recall seeing this before. Is this new? Something they're going to just start doing? Yeah. So in uh, in 2019, the city passed a constitutional uh, an amendment to their charter uh, to uh, participate in rank in, in rank choice voting. Um, it was a uh, it was a referendum uh, that passed the, the the voters of the city of New York passed uh, to make that happen. Uh, and so this will be the first time it's it's oh, wow. uh, it's executed, um, and so you know it's gonna it's going to take uh, quite a bit of work. I think not you know not only among the campaigns, but a bunch of civic institutions, certainly the city government, the boards of elections, the campaign finance board in New York, to really make sure voters are informed of what's going to happen and what they should expect when they uh, get into the voting booth. Um, because it, you know, like like everything else, when you do something for the first time, it's challenging. And the, you know, the experience of voting that people, you know, if you've been, you know, we have a lot. Most, you know, the the highest turnout uh, group of voters are the ones who have been voting a certain way for the longest period right. of time. So it's going to be different, um, but yeah. better. Uh, I feel very, you know, I feel like it's a really good way to to to, to increase participation and better and make better campaigns. Um, but you know, people need to get used to it. Yeah. Be, there's always a learning be, curve with anything course. new. Yeah. But no, it, it sounds like it, it could be a, a great, a great way to increase participation. And I also think, um, what you said is, is really important to, to take note of is that there needs to be a very inclusive conversation. There's so many diverse New Yorkers, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a really a melting pot of people and we have to include everybody from all walks of life, all demographics all socioeconomic paths and, and really find a way to make them all as happy as they possibly can be, right? We can't make everybody happy all the time yeah. at the same time. <laughs> Not in New York at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but we can really try to, to do, do the best we can. And so let's hope that that can happen. Now, I know you are also, uh, you're, you're, you're not really a New Yorker, right? You're, you're from Texas, right? <laughs> well, I'm, so I have, I spent my last uh, eight years fully in New York. Uh, and then recently last, I guess last year, uh, moved to Texas, uh, and I've been working uh, quite a bit in Texas, though I still am very engaged in New York politics. And um, before the pandemic was back pretty much every week. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, but do I you see Texas as a, as, yeah. a, as a growth state for Democrats? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, when you when you sort of talk about where people's heads were before this election, uh, thinking that there were going to be a lot more victories and, and hopefully one giant victory in Texas. 
Uh, obviously, that's not the outcome we got and not mm -hmm. the outcome that, you know, among Democrats we prefer. But I don't think that the reaction to that should be uh, that Texas is no longer a growth state or a battleground state. I think that, you know, we need to look at the dynamics that happen nationally uh, and then apply them to uh, Texas and every other state. Um, but what you saw, you know, what you really saw in Texas was, first of all, it's closing. Um, and it's a, uh, it's one of the states that moved you know, significantly away from Republicans and towards Democrats as a statewide, uh, mm -hmm. uh, from, a, from a statewide perspective uh, from, from 2016. Uh, did it happen to the, we obviously wanted it to go all the way, but it's close, but it didn't. And it's close, but it is closing. Uh, and I think this, you know, sort of the, the shifting electorate that supports, uh, that has been supporting Democrats, younger voters, suburban voters, right. um, you know, voters of color. Uh, that, well, you're in uh, Austin, really, right? So yeah, Austin is, yeah. a big, is a big place of change, right? For It's a massive, yeah, it's a massive, you know, it really is. I mean, look, Austin historically has been a, uh, uh, a very democratic, right. uh, a big D democratic city. Um, and has had, you know, outstanding uh, voter participation. Um, and, uh, you know, that's different. I think, you know, we've started seeing real change, um, you know, not only in Austin, but in the uh, Houston suburbs uh, and, and Houston proper. Dallas uh, has really started to change. The Dallas suburbs have really started to change. You know, Houston, Harris County, which is one of the largest counties in the country, uh, and, and sort of encompasses Houston, is uh, has gone from being a Republican stronghold to frankly, increasingly a Democratic stronghold. Right. And there are 4 million people that live there. So this is a, wow. you know, this is, this, it, this is a, uh, this is a place that is changing and changing rapidly. Um, and I think it's, it's really just a matter of uh, will and, uh, uh, and continuing to really fight hard in Texas before it, uh, it before it ultimately flips, and we see the sorts of victories that uh, that we all want to see there, um, uh, or that we expect. You know, we, we were hoping to see this year, but we'll see uh, very soon in the future. There were, you know, a lot of a lot of really good wins. You know, some not so great losses. But uh, if you're projecting ahead the same demographic changes that we're looking at in places like Arizona and Georgia uh, that flipped this year uh, are happening at scale in Texas. In Texas. And, I think that, and I think that, you know, these next few years, we're going to see um, even more substantial gains. Well, let's see. I mean, you know, change happens slowly and then suddenly, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So Absolutely. we'll have to see where that goes. Well, thank you for coming on. This has been really nice conversation. It's been an important conversation, especially in light of uh, world events. And so I, I really appreciate you coming on. I wish you much good luck with your other campaigns. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure this is not the last we'll hear and see of your candidates. So um, thank you. For, for sure. And thank you very much for having me on. Um, and uh, I appreciate your time.